Welcome to the Book of Mormon Central Come Follow Me podcast with your hosts, Lynn Wilson and John Cho. Hello. Welcome. Glad to have you back. Yeah. I'm excited about this week. We're doing Psalms. Yeah. I so, love Psalms. And, I am so excited about talking yeah. about this with you. Um, one of my favorite prepara- uh, preparations is just so um, fulfilling to read. Really? I, I think so. I feel like they testify of Christ and they testify the temple and you can read them and find different levels. And I just feel like the more I read them, the more I understand them better. And it's just nice to have little pieces at a time, though. I It's not like I want to read. It's not a page turner that we want to get to the end of the book. You yeah. just want to absorb and cherish each little section. So tell me about the composition and the history of Psalms. Well, obviously there's 150 <laughs> that we've right. got canonized at least um, of these beautiful Hebrew poems. But, you know, the Hebrew poetry is not like English poetry. So looking for parallels and imagery and um, out of these 150, about a third of them are anonymous. And I was interested because we have 73 that are claimed to be David. And then the New Testament adds, um, Acts and Hebrews says there's a couple more. So there's 74 or 75 possibly that are from David. But um, I was interested to note that when the Dead Sea Scrolls opened up um, and we they were finally published in 2000, and we saw these scriptural texts that are a thousand years older than anything we ever had before, they are still attributing the Psalms to David. They are Mm. still saying 73 are David, and then 12 are from Asaph, and 11 are to the sons of Korah, which is the priests at the temple who are singing. And then two are from Heman, two to Solomon, then Ethan, Moses, we have one each. And then as I mentioned earlier, there's a third of them that are just anonymous, but um, they are not organized by the person who's given them. The, the, it appears that the Psalms are organized into these five large sections. They call them books, um, and they each end with a beautiful poem of praising the Lord. And in a scriptural world, they call it doxology. Praising God is is the study of doxology. Um, and each one of these groups of five ends with something like, blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. That's the end of the book. Then you start the next one. But interestingly, the whole book of Psalms ends with five beautiful psalms of praise. And they all are praise ye the Lord, praise ye the Lord, praise ye the Lord the whole way through. It's interesting to look at the books, though, as I went through each one carefully to notice what was in the center. Because remember Mm. in Hebrew poetry, usually the center is the most important. And in book one, the center, not surprising to me at all, is all about the future king, the Messiah, and the deliverer. That's... um, Psalms 20, 21, 22, and 23. And in the second book, we go to the center of that. And we also find symbolism of Abraham as a type of Christ. And anyway, I just really appreciate and I'm grateful that so many of them have um, messages that point to our Savior, but almost as many to the Savior point to the temple and their feasts, Mm. especially in book five. Book five has more in the temple than any of the others. They also have a lot of thoughts in each poem that build on each other. And these imageries and these patterns were also used for prayer. I found um, one of them, the Ashkenazi Jews recite every Monday night as a prayer. 
also say that some people have divided them instead of being in five books. They've said there's poems of praise and there's poems of lament and poems of cursings, but they aren't organized that way. They're all helter-skelter. That's why I think the five books is a better way to look at it. Um, but these poems of praise, the prophet mentioned something about them in one of his conferences that um, I wanted to remind us about. The word loving kindness is mentioned 23 times in the Psalms. It's it's all over the Old right. Testament. Right. And sometimes it's translated differently. But in King James, it's usually loving kindness. And it's referring to the Lord's covenant. It reminds me, actually, of um, Moses 1, 38 and 39. You know, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. You know, everything God does is out of his kind love for us. But I'll just give you one example. Um, this is Psalm 138, verse 2. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. You know, it's just a beautiful way of um, looking at our Savior. And hopefully, as disciples of Christ, we too can develop that loving kindness. But that's something to look for when you go through the Psalms, um, this joy and celebration. Recently, I've been using these Psalms of praise when I'm down, and they have been such a good source of cheering me up. Um I remember just being as sick as I've ever been and opening up these psalms and praising the Lord. Uh, and it just changes my mind and my heart. And it it really helped. It was right. it was great. Did you notice all the times they talk about blessed? Blessed that came, be the yeah, name. Yeah, it com comes up a lot. I, I think with, um, especially the first half of the Psalms. It's, the, it reminded me almost of the Sermon on the Mount, too, when Christ starts yeah, with exactly. his blessings. I, I, I the, thought, is he citing scripture there? I think so, at least yeah. um, thematically. Yeah, yeah, I found a few. And I checked out the Hebrew on this. Um, Asher is the word, and it also means happy. Happiness comes, though, I think, on a deeper level. I think they're really talking about this joy that comes within when you're keeping the commandments of the Lord, because most of the blessed, sometimes it's a noun, but sometimes it's a verb. Mm. They will be blessed if they keep the commandments of God. Um, I also had to chuckle um, at some of the beautiful poems that are of cursings and thinking, okay, even even David and even these great people have moments in their life when they're ready to <laughs> right. tear out their hair and yell at somebody, but they're still done beautifully and they're still trying to keep the Lord involved in their <laughs> messages. Right. I Psalm seven, smite my enemies. You know, I thought, oh, that's not exactly. Although, you know, I haven't been in a situation where I'm being attacked, so. At least I'm not in a warfare. Yeah, there's so. this sense of relying on the Lord for justice. Yes, I, there I is. Because uh, it's not so much like, you know, these these wicked or, or so on can... It doesn't feel vindictive, if that makes sense as yes. I'm reading this. It feels like... Calling on God yeah, for justice. Calling yeah. on jo God yeah. for justice. And if we're calling on God to do the judging, then hopefully we aren't doing it ourselves, that we're allowing right. him to be the judge. <laughs> right. Although the enemies are mentioned often. <laughs> I feel like um, the Lord is my shepherd is such a beautiful psalm, thinking mm. of David as this great sheep, you know, bearer, a carer, and yet it's such a perfect one for our Savior as well. 
and he be, he even identifies when he when he identifies himself in John chapter ten as the good shepherd. I almost wonder if he's referring back to Psalm twenty three. Mm. But I noticed that um, there's about fifty psalms. Well, actually, there were over fifty when I was looking um, that either typify of Christ or testify of him, or that he quotes them himself. Um, I found at least 16 that he quotes in the New Testament. But um, oftentimes when I go to these Society of Biblical Literature meetings and I'm studying the Psalms with great biblical scholars, um, they refer to the Messianic Psalms as the royal Psalms. And they say they just represent David and we should not take it any further. But as a student of the Book of Mormon, and a student of the Old Testament in both places were told to look for the promised Messiah in the text. Right. I really appreciate King Benjamin. Look for Christ in everything. Nephi. You know, we we look for Christ in all these types. You know, we're looking for Christ, meaning the Messiah, the promised Messiah, in the text so that we can identify him when he comes. You know, the reason why we are here. So I think it's okay to look at the allegorical text side of these psalms. I mean, obviously the Savior writes, does the parables on many levels. I think we can look at the psalms on many levels. So one thing I did was I I looked up the psalm and then I tried to find the scripture where it came from. And Psalm 2 talks about being a son of God. Mm. And of course, we refer to all humans as children of God, as Psalm 2 does and yet, when our Savior refers to himself as the Son of God, I'm thinking of maybe at the baptism, when he's introduced as the Son of God. Um, Matthew 3 is one of those, Matthew 3, 17. It specifically ties to our Savior. And um, although many of the Psalms do fit nicely into David, when we look at all of the Messianic Psalms, there is only one person that they are all fulfilled by, and that is Jesus of Nazareth and his first coming and second coming. Even starting with Psalm 8, verse 2, when he's um, the children are praising him. I think not only of Matthew 21, verse 15, but I also think of 3rd Nephi, right. where the children are praising him. And then in that same Psalm 8, in a little bit further down, if you want to look at verse 6, um, he is called the ruler of all. And yes, David could have called that to himself, but in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8, he said that is referring to the promised Messiah. That is that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, Psalm 16 is beautiful. Um, it's referring to Christ rising from the dead. He says, neither wilt thou suffer that thine holy one to see corruption. Um, but I think the majority of them are in Psalm 22. I don't know if you got to spend much time in that one, but that's where he talks about that beautiful verse, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Yeah. And I just loved thinking of that as David saying it, because I also think that it's okay for us to say it. It was okay for Joseph Smith to say it. You know, it's, it's not just something that our Savior is experiencing, but probably if we are close to our Lord and he can refine us, we can say it during times of trial as well. Um, but just keep I, going down there. Look at verse 7 and 9. I love this. 
All they that see me laugh me to scorn. Um, they pierced my hands and my feet. That's verse 16. And then 18, they, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vestitures. So I just see Psalm 22 as one of our best prophecies of our Savior's passion and death. Mm. Yeah, the sense that I get from reading these Psalms, especially with the lens of Christ, for me, it's different than, than the rest of the Old Testament in that this, these are the inner thoughts of the author, right? Mm -hmm. as, as we broke mm -hmm. them down. And they feel like a pleading to the Savior. Yes. Right, both in praise and in, I guess, mourning, like, you know. And in prayer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, you know, I can see me, why right? they use them as, a as a reciting a prayer at times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these absolutely feel, you know, that the Savior would answer this call in the role of a Savior. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're beautiful. It's in Psalms that we that the Savior himself tells, uh, do you remember in Luke 24 when it's after Jesus has resurrected right. and he's on the road to Emmaus and um, he's trying to explain to these two disciples how Jesus fulfilled the law and why he had to die. And he says in there, let me, let me just pull this up, Luke 24 verse 44, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Mm. So I think it's accurate for us to keep looking for him. And look at, here's another one. Um, Psalm 3420 comes right out of John 19. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. And there's so many about his passion. False witnesses did rise up. They laid my charge things that I knew not. And yes, that fits David. Yes, it fits for many of us who've had people attack us, but it's, it, they all fit into the category of our Savior. The ne very next chapter, Psalm 35, um, verse 19, mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me. They hate me without a cause. In times of sorrow, it's just so helpful to open some of these up. Um, skipping ahead to Psalm 40, verse 7 and 8. Lo, I come, and in the volume of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do the will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. And I feel like if we're trying to be like our Savior, we can sing these as well as our Savior singing them. And it's, it's actually the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, that says this is referring to our Savior. It is he who really delighted in the will of the Father. No one else has had the same degree of accomplishing the Father's will as our, our Lord Jesus did. And I could just keep going. I have a whole list of all these 50, and I just <laughs> love them. I just, it's, it's, it's sort of like when I go to a cathedral or a church, I try to yeah. look at the symbolism and try to figure out what that stained glass is saying and, or what that artwork is saying. That's how I feel about these psalms. I, I feel like it's sort of a mystery. You have to dig deep and see where you can find Christ in them. I find it really motivating in my scripture study to look for my Savior. Psalm 69 is the one that says... In my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. That's verse 21, right out of Matthew 24, right. 34 at the cross. But they even use them in Acts. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. I'm referring to not only what he did in his mortal life, but also in between the time of his death and resurrection when he worked in the spirit world, organizing missionary work and what he will do at the second coming when he will lead the captivities captive, the wicked captive. Anyway, I just, I just love this. And it's not just our Savior that they speak of, too. It's the people that worked with our Savior. Um, did you catch this one in Psalm 109, verse 8? I think it refers to Judas Iscariot. Um, the book of Acts, at least, accounts it to the book uh, Judas Iscariot. Acts chapter 1, verse 20 uses, quotes this psalm as if it were to Judas. Let another take his office. I can't imagine how exciting it must have been for that early Christian church who have sung some of the Psalms, who knew some of the Psalms. You know, the, the Psalms are quoted, I, I think Deuteronomy is quoted the most and then Psalms, but I might have that just opposite. It may be Psalms quoted most in the New Testament and then Deuteronomy, but whatever it is, Psalms is right up there as, the, uh, as one of the most frequently quoted books in the New Testament. And I think that our disciples knew them. And I think it would have been exciting for them to after the Lord's resurrection to say, oh, look, he fulfilled this. Oh, look, he fulfilled this. And I just think it would have strengthened their, their witness, their testimonies, their commitment to our Savior. It's, here's one quoting Psalm 110 back in Matthew. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand and I will make thine enemies thy footstool. That's when they, I don't know if you remember this part, but it was a, it's the last week of his life. He's teaching at the temple. People are trying to sn catch a snare in his words. Right. And, and um, he turns the tables and says, okay, I've got a question for you. Why did David call the Lord when he was younger, older, you know, how does this work with his age? Anyway, he, this is one where the Lord tries to turn the table. That's Matthew twenty two forty four. But Psalm 110 also refers to something in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, 6. Thou art a priest forever after the order of king of righteousness. Mm. Remember, Melchizedek is a title, king right. of righteousness. So, so 110 verse 4. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thou art forever a priest after the order of Melchizedek. But I like reading it and literally king of righteousness as it as it was and then jesus also quotes i don't know if you remember this one from psalm 118 the stone which the builder refused is become the headstone of the corner mm -hmm. and also in 118 just a couple verses down verse 26 blessed be he that cometh in the name of the lord we have blessed you out of the house of the lord meaning the temple i think you know and it's yeah. the savior comes to the temple not only to cleanse it at the beginning of his mission, but um, we'll talk more about that in the New Testament next year. But 118 continues on, his mercy endureth forever. See, they're, they're just perfect types of yeah. Christ. And I believe that David really understood who the Lord was, or at least the inspiration that came to those who were writing these Psalms really had a sweet level of understanding our Savior as our Redeemer, uh, their King, their Ruler, their Shepherd, their Friend. There's so much truth about the nature of God in the Psalms. I was frustrated I, I in Genesis that, that we couldn't yeah. see it as thoroughly as we can in restored Scripture. But when I go to Psalms, I say, okay, here's the nature of the God I worship. I like that a lot. You know, just reading these over and over when there's 150 of them, right? Um, <laughs> and like you said, the, the praise... 
the number of just direct quotes out of these psalms, like I said, in the New Testament, referring back to Christ, um, it, you know, studying these and taking time with them, it, like you said, it really just settles in. And I also like to apply them to myself. When I see them, when I see the Lord is fulfilling them, I think I should be able to do that. Uh, for example, um, do you remember on the cross, Luke records the Savior saying, into thy hand I commit my spirit? So he's citing Psalm 31. And David probably said it. And I think then I should be saying it. I should be yeah. the disciple who says, I will trust you. I will commit my spirit into your hands. And as I look at this as a temple text, um, it's when we put our hands in the Lord's hands that he can lead us into his presence. And so we need to look at these Psalms also as temple texts. And there are some beautiful ones, not only that were used in the temple, that, but that refer to the creator or entering into the presence of the Lord. Um, did you want to talk any more about the Savior before we move on to the temple text? I think we'll refer back to him. I mean, you can't, you can't yeah, avoid yeah, it. Yeah, right? yeah, of but course. Let's... Especially in the temple you do. Yeah. Right. Psalm 15. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? And um, he asks again, who shall ascend? This is, this is Psalm 24. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall ascend to the holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. You know, I was reading a fabulous article on this one where they were talking about Psalm 24 as a text for a prayer circle, that it was used in early Christianity, possibly, and in Judaic circles where they would stand in a circle and recite this in prayer. That's interesting because uh, in my study about you know, aligning us to the Book of Mormon, which we'll talk about later. This is almost a direct quote. From the reverse, Book of Mormon, yeah, too. Yeah, they, they reverse it a little bit, you know. But clean hands and a pure heart yeah. specifically show up. Well, I just love um, the Im temple imagery of these hills because most, all of David's life, there was no temple. We just had the tabernacle. Right. And the tabernacle was, you know, not during David's time, it wasn't in Shiloh, but it was in Shiloh. As soon as they got to the promised land, they moved it there. And then almost 400 years, it's it's moved to a couple of different places while David's trying to gather everything in Jerusalem. But he has the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle moved to Jerusalem, even though the temple isn't built. And so Mount Moriah is this hill of the Lord. It's mm. this sacred place where Melchizedek's people were translated and where Abraham sacrificed Isaac. I think Mount Moriah has such a history of sacredness that it is the hill of the Lord. It is known as this to the to David. And as he refers to the hill of the Lord, I think he's referring to the temple. Here's, here's another one. I love this one from Psalm 89, verse 3. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. And I know that many of the children of Israel did not receive the higher covenant. Mm -hmm. They're living a, the Mosaic law, but many did. You know, in the temple, they're doing washings and anointings of the priests. The priests are receiving sacred clothing to act in the place of um, the Lord. And as they go about their work, the whole Holy of Holies is 
the goal is to enter into the presence of the Lord, which the high priest does on the Day of Atonement. And as we look at the architectural descriptions, we talked about how it takes us back to the creation and takes us back to the Garden of Eden and everything is symbolic of, of that. So when I see Psalms, here's another one, Psalm 8. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, and the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, you know, and he goes on, how great thou art, you know, thou art a little lower than the angels, you know. Um, I just feel like all of these are talking about the creation and the creator and the Lord wants us to see him. In these texts, here's another one, uh, Psalm 48, 9. You know, I often read the Psalms in different translations as well. And here's one from a, a more literal translation, the BSB. Within your temple, O God, we contemplate your loving devotion. The KJV of that same one says, we have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. So it's back to using that that yeah. phrase that the prophet encouraged us to look for. You know, I have a friend who knows the Psalms so well that he has divided them up and recites them on different days. And whenever his family is fasting, he recites this one. I love it. It's Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2. As a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. And then they sing Psalms, or they recite Psalm 63. My soul thirsteth, longeth for thee. Your spirit is hungering for the Lord. Just to be an invocation or to set the stage for their fasts that day for their family. I think it's a great tradition. It's, it's Eric Huntsman's idea, and I, I want to apply it in my own life. Because fasting was part of the temple ritual as well. Do you remember on the Day of Atonement was their fast day? Right. So that fit into their temple text. And I don't know if you remember when we were back in the book of Leviticus, we had talked about on some of the high holy days that the priests would line up and walk from the pool of Siloam carrying golden pitchers filled with water and go and pour them on the altar to pray for early rain at the Feast of the Tabernacles. And they called these the Psalms of Ascent that the priests would sing and the Levites would play on their musical instruments as they walked up these steps to the temple at the time of the New Testament. And I don't know if there were tips, steps there at the time of right. Solomon or, or for the um, Ark of the Covenant and the Tabernacle that were there during David's time. But these beautiful songs of ascent are all temple songs too. But I just, probably I've spent too much time on the happy ones. I also feel the songs of lament are so powerful to talk about the need for repentance. You know, we're told in the Doctrine and Covenants, say nothing to this generation but repentance. And then the prophet has asked us, you know, start repenting every day. And I just feel like repentance is such a wonderful thing to do. You know, it, you never feel the Lord's love as strongly as you do when you've really repented and you feel his arms around you and you're just so filled with gratitude. I just love um, when David is going through imploring the Lord for mercy. Here's Psalm 54, verse 4. Against thee have I sinned. Wash me thoroughly. You know, he realizes it's not just against the person that he's offended, but he's offended his his God. He's offended mm -hmm. the Spirit of the Lord. Here's another one, uh, Psalm 34, verse 18 to 20. We need this 
offer a broken heart, a contrite spirit. And, you know, the word contrite in Hebrew, this idea of being mashed down, broken, um, completely humbled, you know, at our very, very, very um, lowest states, then the Lord can come and deliver us and create us back into a better nature. So on the times when we're feeling discouraged and distraught, may we call on the Lord, go to the Psalms, you know, I just feel like they're powerful scriptures, partly because they testify of Christ. And so we can feel the spirit when we read them. And that's, I think, probably why we see them in the Book of Mormon as well. Did you want to talk about that, John? I've talked way too much and yeah, haven't let you no, talk I'm, enough. It's been great listening to you because as you've gone through and listed things about Christ and the temple and even Lamentations, you've been actually referencing Psalms that show up quite often in the Book of Mormon as well. I mean, well, it this makes last sense. one, Broken Heart and a Contrite Spirit, shows up frequently. In the Book of Mormon? In the Book of Mormon, specifically, that exact phrase. I hope they were still singing the music that went with them, too. I'm not positive um, if they had the music with them. But we do know that, at least in the small plates, where we find more references to the Psalms than anywhere else in the Book of Mormon, um, those people came from Jerusalem. Yeah. Or at least Jacob probably yeah. was only hearing from his, and after Jacob, only hearing from those that came from Jerusalem. But certainly the first two books of Nephi, he, he knew these uh, firsthand. Quite a lot. So what I did when I was studying is I started just reading Psalms from the beginning and anything that sort of prompted anything familiar, I just did a quick search. And um, I just, after a while, I had to stop because this is going to take me a month. <laughs> because, so uh, thematically, I was just looking at at uh, a variety of ones. And interestingly enough, obviously we hear of <clears throat> 2 Nephi chapter 4 as a Psalm of Nephi, right? Yes. I realized that that's actually quite literal. <laughs> so he he's making a mosaic more, of other Psalms. More than any other reference in the Book of Mormon, um, there are more Psalms referenced during that yeah, one chapter. Yeah, those phrases. Oh, that's lovely. Um, and, and don't, I, I just listen to the testimony meetings and we often quote hymns. Yeah. We often quote hymns in our prayers. At least I do. Yeah. Yeah. John, John Hilton III put together a wonderful uh, paper among Old Testament Psalms in the Book of Mormon. You can find it on the BYU Religious uh, Study Center. Yeah, it's also on his website. I've, yeah. I've read it too. It's excellent. But let's see, he specifically mentions, you know, the the Psalm of Nephi. 25% of all the Psalms references in the Book of Mormon come from that one chapter. Okay. And I think there's uh, 43 cases, which he outlines specifically. <laughs> um, and so 25% of those come from that from the that phrases one. that are there. Yeah. And, and they're, they're all over. And of course they're, they reference in the old Testament and I'm um, sorry, in the, in the new Testament, you, you've already mentioned some of these already. I'm also touched that, um, in Nephi's lament, um, this beautiful poetry, um, he covers the whole gamut from the lamenting all the way to the praise. Yes. He doesn't have a Psalm just of one. It's, it's, it covers both spheres. Yeah. So in this paper, what, what he's done, is, I do want to give you a little bit of background here. What he's done is he actually did a, a text analysis. Uh -huh. So he took literal phrases, you know, uh -huh. broken heart, contrite spirit, so on, clean hands, pure heart, and he just did the analysis and, and ran those. And, and that's where the 43 cases come from. Yeah, word cruncher's great. Computers yeah. help with that a lot. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so, so, so there's a literal. But when I was doing my personal study, I was just looking thematically. 
And mm. every Psalm, I found something in the Book of Mormon. Well, let's just start with Psalm ones. 1. When yeah. you're talking about that dream, of, it sounds like uh, Psalm 1 to me sounds like the plan of salvation. It sounds like Lehi and Nephi's uh, tree of life vision. Right. As we see them, um, a tree planted in the rivers of water. Right. The this rod is of the iron. tree of life. The yes, it's the rod of iron, iron going um, there. Yeah. It uh, shows up in the Psalms yeah. as well here. Um, it was really exciting to me to see that consistent thematic pattern. Yeah, so let me just give you a couple here from from my own study oh, here. Psalm, Psalms eight, um, you know, testifying of the heavens. This meeting mm. made me think of Alma's testimony to Gorahor in Alma chapter thirty, and that, that's what he uses as a testimony of God. Um, it's is, one of the Psalms. Is, yeah, it's one of the Psalms. Oh, John, that's terrific. Um, some of the more, uh, what would you say, the um, cursing ones, right? Psalms uh-huh. nine, digging a pit for your neighbor, that shows up. <laughs> uh, frequently, you know, and so this idea that your enemies who who are really disingenuous and are digging a pit for you, that they will fall into their own traps, and this is the justice of God, right? Yeah, that that shows up. That in we the don't need to worry about judging them and and, right. and taking the, care the of them. The Lord will battles. fight them battles, and they'll do it. They'll often just trip yeah. on their own own selves. Yeah, um, reference in Psalms ten to secret combinations. You know, of course, oh, with the I miss that one. Wow. Yeah, which is of course showing up in modern times as well. Um, but that, that's a that's a significant theme in the Book of Mormon, right? Um, and and how how tricky that is. Psalms eleven: The Lord trieth the righteous. That's that's all over the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Here's one referencing back to Christ. But uh, in Psalms eighteen: The Lord is my rock. We mentioned that one earlier. That shows up in Second Nephi fourth, you know, and in verse thirty. But also in Helaman five, chapter twelve. You know, I, I found constant wow. scriptures wow. on the scripture mastery. Like you know, <laughs> the, the things I memorized in seminary, yeah. like as a teenager, they, they show up and like, this is where I'm finding these Psalms showing up consistently. And it's, uh, it's the pretty Book amazing. The Book of Mormon is an ancient text. Yeah. Of course it would be filled with the Psalms. That's yeah. fabulous. Psalms, that is fabulous evidence yeah. of its antiquity. Yes, uh, Psalms nineteen seven uh, for me references Alma thirty seven six and seven, which is simple things, right? By by simple things. Oh, by small things. and simple things are great yeah. things brought to pass. That's yeah. a psalm. Yeah. So oh, I always... Psalm wow. Psalm nineteen. Let's let's uh actually let's go to it. I can show you the exact yeah. Reference here. That's terrific. So Psalm nineteen verse seven: The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise making wise the simple. Mm, yep. Right? Yep. So do not be yep. fooled by the simpleness of the way, right? Yeah. Um, this is one of my favorite students, Psalms 20, uh, verses seven and eight. Trust not in the chariots, but in God. You know, for me, that is very much referencing to trust not in the arm of the flesh, right? Mm. So thematically, that mm-hmm. fits. And that's several times in the Book of Mormon, but it's also in, in 2 Nephi 4, but also shows up again in 2 Nephi and 28 later on. And, you know, the the idea of the poetry being thematic is one of the major um, consistent natures of Hebraic poetry yeah. is the themes are repeated. In, even a chiasmus has these repeated themes. Right. So we're seeing them in the th- Psalms is is powerful. And then the last one that I that I had referenced from my personal study was Psalms 24, verse 4, which you mentioned earlier, um, which is he mm-hmm. hath clean hands and a pure heart. For me, that shows up directly in Alma 5. And I, I do oh, wanna, that's a fabulous chapter. I, yes. Yeah. So Alma, again, scripture mastery, right? Yeah. Uh, 
but uh, let's see, 519 is where it shows up. I just want to read that Great. as well. And again, this is Alma's sort of, I would almost say, temple recommend interview, if you yeah. will, right? <laughs> um, you know, I can say to you, can you look up to God at that day with a pure heart and clean hands? I say to you, can you look up having the image of God uh, engraven upon your countenances? Oh, it's one of our favorites. And yeah. it just fits perfectly right there into the Psalms. And it also fits back into the temple imagery. Exactly. You know, my favorite Old Testament teacher, LeGrand Davies, said, if you don't understand the temple, you don't really understand the Psalms. And that is likewise a temple imagery. Absolutely. Because going to take back upon to, ourselves the name of the Lord and have his image engraven upon our countenance. That's exactly right. Because what you referenced earlier, I just want to reread this for emphasis. Psalms 24, verse 3, who hath ascended into the hill of the Lord, right? This is one of the first ones we talked about with the temple. Who are, or who shall stand in his holy place? In verse 4, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. I almost feel like a study of the Psalms will not only help us become better disciples, better, more like Christ, but also understand our temple worship better. I think so. That's the thing that I, because we start out with Christ, mm -hmm. could have gone on forever. We could have gone for <laughs> yeah. a couple hours, right? And, but we, we stopped and then we went to the temple and then to the Book of Mormon. And I find the same scriptures, just as we referenced here, across these. And so, you know, for me, um, I just gained a much deeper appreciation of the Psalms and the ability not just to affect me personally, because these are personal pleadings. This yeah. isn't a history book. Mm -hmm. These are personal mm -hmm. pleadings mm -hmm. and prayers. Mm -hmm. um, and you can just feel the spirit so consistently. And yet we're only getting half of them. With the music yeah. we're there, we'd get the whole thing. So right. I hope we can listen to these things. I'm sorry we haven't been able to give you yeah. the Messiah and a few others that quote the Psalms as well. But what a great book of scripture. I hope you enjoyed as much as John and I have. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you next week.